you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Please take a seat, church. Our reading today is from uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 5. I'll give you a second if you want to grab out your Bible, perhaps a digital version if you've got that. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 5. It reads, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, uh, hello again to those uh, watching at home, and I know actually some of you were, were part of that initial uh, church plant stage and in our other parts of the country. Hello to you. And also great to have you uh, kids involved with the service this morning and here with us. So a little bit of noise, nothing wrong with that. If you're a parent, please don't, don't stress. Uh, but the topic we are looking at today is the second in the Peacemaker series, and I want to begin it and introduce it by asking you just to think for a moment what is the worst conflict you've ever had with someone else. Don't want that to be too much of a downer. Uh, Many of us, something comes straight to mind. Um, Maybe some of us, nothing comes to mind. That's great. But I want to begin by sharing with you the worst conflict that I've ever had. It was with um, a close friend of many years, uh, a Christian brother. Uh, We'd been through so much Uh, together, so many good times, so many difficult times. Uh, We'd had really sweet times of of worship uh, with one another. I had a deep respect uh, for this man, and he lied to me, and he betrayed my trust, and the relationship was severely strained. Uh, We weren't talking, we weren't uh, responding, there was a lot of of hurt, and then uh, there came an occasion when I discovered because I got in a conflict with somebody else, I discovered that my friend had shared things that I had told him in the strictest confidence with this other person, which now meant that I had another conflict and I felt even more betrayed, that my trust had been even violated more seriously. And and I was furious, I said, that's enough. It's too much and I'm gonna confront him about what he has done and I'm gonna make him own it. Have you ever had a situation, anything like that? Uh, it, it's debilitating. I, those, during that period of time, I, I had trouble sleeping. My mental health was, was struggling. Uh, it just dominated my entire life. And my anger was focused on this man because he caused it. Have you ever had a situation like that? Well, in this second week uh, of the series, of the three-week series of peacemaking, we've been looking at something that's really crucial It's crucial to understand, and and I want to share with you this morning, um, by looking at that situation I just began with, I want to come to God's Word, and I want to help you see what I learned from that conflict. 
And there were three things I learned. I learned what I did wrong. <laughs> sort of share that with you. I'm going to learn what I did right, what he did right, rather. And then finally, I want to, to share with you the golden resolve. So I want to do three things. And I want to just uh, make it clear again that, that I'm drawing heavily from these two wonderful books by Ken Sandy called The Peacemaker and Resolving Everyday Conflict. So I'll be drawing from them very extensively. And just to remind you that next year, we're inviting the organization PeaceWise to help us walk through some of this in more detail. So three things, what I did wrong, what he did right, and the golden result. So, what I did wrong. And as you see, there was plenty I did wrong. But I want to begin by actually saying one thing I did right. Uh, at this moment in the conflict, it was like the final straw, and my natural inclination was like, right, one final text message, and then I'm going to block his number. He's dead to me. This is done. I'm finished. Have you ever felt like that? Just had enough. I just don't need this guy in my life. Let's just close the door forever. But... Um, as I was pondering what to do, I remembered that Jesus had something to say about conflict in Matthew chapter 18. I mean, I actually went back to read this, this verse at that time. This is what he says, Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 18. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So Jesus is giving a graduated progression of conflict management in, in Matthew 18. And it doesn't start with me sending an email or a text or a, a messenger and then blocking him on my phone and deleting him from my friend list, right? Jesus insists and he, he very specifically says, go to the person, just the two of you. And so what I did right was actually organizing to go directly to him and let's have this out. That was right. But what I did wrong? Plenty of things I did wrong. Uh, we just heard Lexi read for us the parable. Uh, it's not really a parable. I suppose it's, a, it's an example that Jesus is using. He's telling a story. And, and the story that he tells is ridiculous, isn't it? Uh, you heard Lexi read it. It's about this guy that goes like, I, I can see that my neighbor or my friend has got a little speck of sawdust in their eye and I'm going to go and sort it out. And as this man goes to try and sort it out of this person, he's got a massive chunk of wood sticking out of his own eye while he's trying to you know, deal with the microscopic speck in his neighbors. And Jesus begins that parable or that story in Matthew 7, 1 to 5 by saying, judge not lest you yourself will be judged. Now, as we look at that text, some people will take it and say that Jesus is saying we should never make judgments against other people, uh, that we should never actually look at, at someone's sins and, and confront them with them. Uh, interestingly, over the uh, controversial period of our church history, there were a number of um, articles and letters saying, how can a church say abortion is wrong? Judge not, uh, quoting Jesus to say that, you know, you can't make judgments. But that's actually um, certainly not what Jesus is talking about because in the same book of Matthew, Jesus is saying, he's outlining how you actually confront somebody if they sin against you. 
So um, judging not is, is not actually not dealing with a wrong. Jesus is getting at how we do it. The, the attitude of our heart and the way we go about dealing with the wrong. It's not that we don't judge or confront people who sin against us, but how we do it. And Jesus' big idea in this story is conflict with others, yes, but we need to always start with ourselves. That's the whole point. We should start with ourselves as we look at conflict with others. And it's so hard to do, isn't it? Because you and I go, they hurt me. They wrecked my life. They took my sleep. Their fault, their sin, they are the problem. And that's absolutely natural that we do that. But Jesus says, no, no, no. Before you begin judging, before you come to someone else with the conflict, deal with yourself. It's very, very, very hard to do, but Jesus says, very important, get the log out of your own eye before you deal with the sawdust in someone else's. Now, what he is not saying is that if someone has wronged you, you have automatically contributed a greater amount of blame to the conflict, because that's often not true. Uh, For example, in the situation with my friend, I had done zero to start the conflict. It was 100% his fault in its beginnings, but that wasn't true with the interactions that followed. Yes, it began with a sin against me, but, but my interactions with him had plenty to, left plenty to be desired. There were sinful actions, there were sinful things that I said to other people about him, sinful things that I thought about him, the anger in my heart, the way that I I pushed him away. And Jesus insists that in a conflict, we have to start with our sins first, not the other person. You know why? Because the other person's sins, you know what? They're their sins. They're their sins. They're responsible for their sins before God. What can we do about their sins? In one sense, not very much. They're their sins. But what about our sins? Our sins are our responsibility. Our sins, we have the ability to do something about them. And Jesus says, when you're in a conflict, big idea, start with your sins first. Go on a log hunt and maybe take someone else on the log hunt with you. That might be helpful. Say to your wife or your spouse or your friend or or another person in your gospel community, say, look, you know, I'm in this conflict with somebody. Can you see anything that I've contributed to this? Brave question. But start on the log hunt. Is what have I got? What am I contributing to this? How have I sinned against this person before I consider what they've done to me? So taking the log out of my eye in that situation with my friend demanded that I consider what, how I had responded to him and the way that I had contributed to the conflict that we were suffering. But I did it all wrong. You know why? Because I played the percentage game. Have you ever played the percentage game? The percentage game is you think, right, I'm in conflict with you, here's me, let's allocate percentages of blame. So, all right, you were at 100% because it was all your fault to begin with, which it was, 
Now, I've kind of contributed 20% since then of stuff that's sinful and wrong, but your 80% trumps my 20%, so my 20 cent doesn't matter because your 80% dominates it, so I'll forget my 20% and I'll focus on your 80%, right? That's the percentage game. No one makes it that obvious in their mind, but it's what we do. As we dwell on the hurts we experience and the pain we suffer, we play the percentage game. And I played the percentage game with him. And I went into that meeting full of self-righteous anger. You did this. You caused this. You betrayed me. You breached confidence. You lied. I didn't once ask myself, remember last week, as we saw how conflict is an opportunity to glorify God? I just once, I didn't once say, God, how might I glorify the name of Jesus in this conflict right now as I confront my friend? Didn't ask that. I didn't remind myself of the gospel, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And I'm one of those. That would have taken me down a peg, but I didn't think of that. Uh, and what if, I, what if I considered the percentage game as it applies to Jesus? What would have happened if Jesus went into this world playing the percentage game? I'm 100% innocent and he or she and you or I are 100% guilty, so why would I go to the cross to save people who when they're 100% at fault? That's the kind of attitude that Jesus demonstrated, completely opposite. Now, if I'd thought of that and considered that as a Christian, I was following Christ, then my response would have been very different. He'd forgiven me generously and radically and call me to forgive others in the same way. There were still logs in my own eye. If I'd paused and read the scriptures properly and been humble before God, I would have cried out with David, search me, try me, see if there's any offensive way in me, then lead me in the way everlasting. And if I'd prayed that prayer, search me, try me, is there any offensive way in me, Lord? Then he would have answered that prayer. And he would have showed me the log that was jutting out of my own eye, but the log that I refused to see. So to go back to the percentage game, Jesus' teaching here is that you don't make percentage, you shouldn't make percentage responsibilities when you're dealing with conflict. You need to concentrate on your contribution. So in other words, even if you are only 2% responsible for the conflict, you need to be 100% responsible for the 2%. You understand that? Even if you're only 2% responsible, you need to be 100% responsible for your 2%. That's taking the log out of your own eye. How do you go with that if you're in a conflict? Do you do what I did and play the percentage game? Focus on the hurts that they've caused you and the things that they did to you and the way that they wounded you? How you respond to Jesus' words, take the log out of your own eye. Well, you can just pass it over and go, oh, no, 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 it doesn't apply to me. I'm right. I'm right. Whatever I've done, it's nothing compared to what they did. It doesn't matter. And you can do that, and all it'll do is feed your pride and keep that conflict going. Or you can listen to Jesus' words. You can humble yourself. And you can do some log searching. And you know what? It's the best thing to do. You know, Jesus just doesn't teach us because he wants us to follow right things. He actually wants us to flourish and enjoy the life he's given us. And this is one way you do it is by taking the log out of your own eye. 
So what I did wrong, played the percentage game, focused on his sins, not mine, refused to acknowledge my contribution. Now, secondly, what he did right. In that moment of the confrontation, I went in hot. I went in hot. And it was hanging on the balance. Because you know what it's like when someone comes into you hot? They're angry, they're aggressive, they use words which are, are confronting and, uh, and uh, are, are attacking. You know, a natural response is the shields go up and then we launch back. Well, as I went in hot, he listened. He let me speak. And eventually I, I kind of ran out of steam um, from my speaking. And then what he did is he asked me questions. And not the kind of questions that you ask your spouse if you're married after you've read the latest marriage book. So how did that make you feel, sweetie? And you don't really care about that, but you're asking the question, you know, because you want the, you know, you know what I mean? Have you ever done that? Yeah, you know, like you think you're going to get the, particularly men do this. It doesn't work. They see right through you every time. And you probably make it worse. But, but what he was doing was asking questions and he wanted to hear the answer. So, so he's like, he said like, so, so when I did that, had it, that made you feel like this? Is that right? I went like, yes, exactly. And then he said, and then he continued to, to talk about it, asking questions, and he did something which was shocking, something which I did not expect, something which actually is one of the most powerful things you can ever do. You know what it was? He apologized. And it, we said, he said words along these lines, I went in to pin him down on the breach of confidence, and he went, yeah, I did. Yeah, I shared what you shared. I am so sorry. I shouldn't have done that. And then he said, I can see how much that has hurt you and the conflict it's caused with other people. I am so sorry. Will you forgive me? And then he said, what can I do to help make this right? What he did right? That. He did that very, very well. And you know, so often you and I do it badly, apologizing. You know, we're really bad at apologizing because even in our apologies, we're looking at ourselves and we're justifying ourselves while we're apologizing to someone else. Have you ever done that? I'm sorry that you feel that way. Maybe it's not all your fault after all. Apologies like that, um, they're not really apologies at all, you know, and they kind of make things worse sometimes. So what I want to do now is look at uh, Ken Sandy in his book has got the seven A's of apologies, right? So I'm going to go through them very briefly, but as we look at them, ask yourself, and particularly if you've got a current conflict and you have apologized, did I do it like this? So let's look, seven A's. Firstly, not first A, address everyone involved. And the conflict's got to be as, the, the apology rather, has got to be as comprehensive as the conflict. So if you had a disagreement with your spouse and voices were raised and the kids heard, then you don't just need to apologize to your spouse, you need to also apologize to the kids. So it needs to be, address, every, address everyone involved. Secondly, this is massive, avoid the weasel words. You know the weasel words? If but maybe, 
uh, the quickest way to wreck your apology is to use these words. Maybe you've seen sports people or celebrities in the media court and they, they, they have to apologize, but they don't want to apologize. And, you can, they, and it's funny, but it's not funny when we do it and we do it. So you know one of the worst apologies? I'm sorry if I hurt you. No, is that right? No, I'm sorry if you feel hurt. That's right. I'm sorry if you feel hurt by what I did. You know what that does? You're actually saying, I really don't know why you feel hurt by what I did. And you shouldn't really be feeling hurt by what I did. And I'm actually not sorry that you feel hurt by what I did, but I've apologized. So there, get on with it. Have you ever had someone apologize in that way? Have you ever done that to you? It's infuriating. Because they're like, I've apologized. Why can't you let this go? No, you haven't. You haven't apologized at all. You've just gone through a formula and now you want to move on. It's infuriating and it wrecks apologies, a genuine apology. So avoid the weasel words. Thirdly, admit what you did wrong specifically. Okay, not like, I know I sometimes get angry because it's stressful at work. No, I'm sorry I yelled at you in front of the kids this evening. The specific apology shows the other person that you're actually, you know what you've done and you are apologizing, not some sort of hiding behind some sort of generality, which means nothing. Fourthly, acknowledge the hurt you've caused. My friend did that so well. He said, I'm so sorry I betrayed your confidence, specific, and I'm so sorry for the hurt that it caused you with this other person. Specific apology. Acknowledge the hurt you've caused. Now, fifthly, accept the consequences. So it may be that what you have done is going to require some more follow-up work. Maybe if you've spoken behind someone's back and, uh, and that slander has got out, you need to go to some of the people that have heard it and you say, I'm sorry, this was wrong, what I said. Maybe there's specific actions you need to take. You need to accept those consequences. And sixth, this is a biggie, you need to alter your behavior. Can you alter your behavior? Is it easy to alter your behavior? No. Can you alter it? In your own strength, to some extent. But we're not operating in our own strength. If you're a Christian here this morning, most of us are. If you're a Christian, then the Bible teaches that not only is your sin removed, but that it's replaced by the love of God in the form of the Holy Spirit, giving you a power to live your life that you lacked before. You can change. Uh, we, you, we've been given by God and, in, and modeled on in the life of Jesus the spiritual disciplines, the things that help us change. We've been, we've, the example of Jesus helps us change. His power within us helps us change. Yes, you can change. Each of us can change. Is it gonna be instant? It's gonna be automatic? It's gonna, no, no. But you can change. That's the reality of the gospel. And you've only got to look at your own life over a period of time. And I suspect that you can look back and go, wow, I have changed. God has changed me. I'm not who I was 10 years ago. And, and if you think, I think I still am, well, it'd be very interesting to ask someone who knows you well, because they may see the changes that you don't. But you can change. But what wrecks an apology and what ultimately sabotages it if the person we're apologizing to knows you've done this so many times before. You have no intention of changing. 
You're just going through the apology, even though you sound it and it all sounds sincere. And you know, one of the saddest things in a relationship that's in trouble, like a marriage that's in trouble, is where one partner or the other really genuinely apologizes with tears. And the other partner says like, I've been here so many times before. No, not this time. It's tragic, but it's understandable because, you know, sometimes, especially if we're, we're in relationship with another Christian, we think, well, all I've got to apologize is, and then 70 times seven, Jesus said, remember? You've got to forgive me 70 times by seven. And we have this kind of, this kind of acceptance that I've done my apology and, always, and it'll, it'll all be fine now when it, we need to demonstrate that our behavior is changing. That's the sixth, alter your behavior. And finally, seventhly, ask for forgiveness. Actually ask. And it's really hard to do because you're making yourself vulnerable. But say, will you please forgive me? It's hard, but it's essential. And then there's a, a, an 8A, if you like, a, allow time after you've apologized because if the offense is big and the conflict's been deep, it's not automatically the other person will go, I receive your forgiveness and I forgive you too. All right, what I did wrong, what he did right. Now, thirdly, finally, the golden result. Uh, if you and I will actually put Jesus' words into practice and take the log out of our own eye, Ken Sandy points out that there's often a golden result. He says this, the golden rule tells us to do to others what we want them to do to us. And the golden result says that people will actually usually treat us as we treat them. The golden result. Uh, in my conflict, I went in hot. I was really ready for a fight ready for that relationship to permanently be separated and severed. And as this man apologized genuinely, as he asked for my forgiveness, you know what happened? The anger just instantly dissipated. I was ready to fight. And when, when he, he just said, I'm sorry, like, what am I going to do? It's like punching a, a man that's not throwing back. You, you, you don't do that. And, and in that moment, all my anger is gone. And I look at this man and I see his pain for the first time, really. And while he's apologizing to me for what, what he's done, I see what he's gone through, the agony he's gone through, the suffering he's experienced because of his own sin. And instead of like pointing the finger and, and wanting to, to, to hit him, I'm like, I've got to help you up, brother. You're hurting. And, and, and as he asked forgiveness, I had no intention of doing this. I found myself saying, yeah, well, I'm really sorry for what I said that time. I'm really sorry for putting that distance between us. I'm sorry for holding this. I didn't intend to do that. But his actions, his right actions, meant that when I was actually in that moment of conflict, I knew in my heart that for me to continue that conflict would be to directly and massively sin against him and against God. It's the golden result. Uh, and that night, it wasn't like automatically our relationship was like it was before. You know that, a serious conflict 
you know, it, the, it doesn't automatically return. If a little conflict, yeah, but a serious one like I'm talking about, it takes time. But that night I slept again, peacefully. And today, that relationship is fully restored. One of my best friends. The sweetness of that friendship is returned. And all the bitterness and brokenness, which could easily have been the result of that, has been washed away by the blood of Jesus and by following his words together, we are friends again. It's beautiful. It's a golden result. And you know what? Sometimes this even happens with non-Christians. Um, I want to tell you a story about, I, I play a, a, a high energy and adrenaline sport called bowls, lawn bowls. I don't know if anyone <laughs> plays that. It's a, uh, it's a wonderful sport. But I, I got introduced to it by uh, someone in our church. I won't use his name, no name, no pectoral. He's got his tall and silver hair, head. Yeah, some of you will know exactly who I'm talking about. And uh, anyway, down at the bowls club last year, um, we're all out on the green, you know, it's pretty serious out there, you know, bowling away, you know, the full, the whole, all the rinks are, are taken, all the lanes are taken, and, um, and this, the, the president of the bowling club stormed up to this man I was bowling with, and in the middle of that bowling competition, he let, it, he let him have it, you know, like you can imagine grumpy old men, you know, in action, you know, and it turned out that what had happened is my friend, out of his own because he just he's a Christian, he does this sort of stuff, he just serves other people. Where all the bowls were stored was an absolute shenanigan mess. And he goes like, I'm going to clean this out on my own time. So he got the vacuum cleaner and he, and he tidied all the room up and had thought nothing about it. Except what had happened is some old guys had had his bowls moved, hidden in plain sight, and the guy had panicked, he'd gone to the police, reported a theft, and the police had gone back to the president of the bowls club, and he was furious, and he stormed out onto the green and was dressing, and as he went on, I was like, I was getting angry, I was like, give him a break, how about you say thank you for cleaning up your mess, you know, how about you go like, thank you for doing that, I know it was a misunderstanding, but he didn't, he just kept going, and in that moment, this guy responded, and he just said this, he just said, I'm really sorry that I moved the bowls. And he didn't say it like, yeah, I'm really sorry I moved when he's not sorry. He said, I'm really sorry I moved those bowls. C can I make this right? No joke, he said that. And, and how do you think the, the, the angry guy was responding? He was like, well, you, well, you, well. all right. He said, I'm sorry as well. And off he went. <laughs> and that was it. And, and I thought... I thought, well, actually, I thought of my own reaction in that moment would have been like, how dare you? But I just saw this man, and this is not weakness. This was not being a pushover. This guy was just being Jesus. It was strength, not weakness. Everyone on the bowling green knew who the bigger man was. And, you know, bowls wasn't the winner that day. Jesus Christ was the winner. There was, a, there was a real demonstration of a peacemaking man in the midst of a conflict over the bowling, at the bowling club. That's a real life, everyday conflict. There'll often be a golden result if we'll put Jesus' words into practice. But as I close, not always. And you know that. Um, it's not a, a promise. An ironclad promise that if we behave in this way, that this will always be the result. It often will be, but not always. Uh, the Bible, the Apostle Paul says, Romans 12, 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably 
with everybody. Hear that? As far as it depends on you. Um, conflict does take two to tango. It takes two to respond. And it may be that even as you take the log out of your own eye, the conflict will not be resolved. But you know what? Ultimately, this is not about you. Uh, Jesus' teaching is saying, consider the other person. Consider the other person as you go into this. It's, it's to demonstrate the humility um, of God to this other person. It's to take the initiative for what we've done as we seek to serve them. And if they respond, wonderful, you've won your brother back. But if they don't, it's as far as it depends on you, at least you and I can know with assurance that our conscience is clear, that we've done everything we can to be that peacemaker in that situation. Sometimes it won't go that way. Often it'll be a really good result. But in the end, we commit that to God as we seek to live for Him in everything. So I hope that's helpful this morning. It's, it's only scratching the surface. Uh, but I'd invite the musicians up. Thanks, guys. We're going to close out our time by having communion. And the way we'll do that is, is um, where I'll get, um, while, you, while we sing, and if you've got little children, they're welcome um, to participate in this. While we're singing the next song, I'll get you to take um, some juice and some bread from the front. Take it back to your seats. Um, I don't think we, have we got any at the back as well? No, we can't, just at the front. So while we're singing, just, just file through, take the juice, take the bread, go back to your seats. And if you would hold them, that'd be great. And then in between the first and second song, we'll have the opportunity to all share the bread and the juice together. There's only juice, there's, there's no wine, so don't worry about that with the kids. Only grape juice there. Um, there are some, some gluten-free options for those of you gluten-free. But before we do that, let's get serious here. Uh, I would suggest that if in this moment the Holy Spirit has touched your heart and said, there's a log you need to take out of your own eye, if, you, if your response is, no, I'm not going to do that, then I don't think you should take communion today. I really don't think you should. Uh, the Bible talks about us examining ourselves before we come to the Lord's table. If you've heard clearly the word of God and the Holy Spirit has prompted you about a conflict and you then respond, say, no, nah, sorry. I don't think you should take communion. Let it pass. Um, don't eat and drink judgment on yourself by coming with an unrepentant heart to this table. However, if you go, yes, I have got a conflict and I haven't taken the log out of my own heart, but Lord, I'm going to then come, come to the table. Come knowing that we only can come to take communion because not that we lived a perfect life, but that Jesus did and that he calls us to follow him. And if you're gonna follow him in that, in that specific conflict, come and take communion even though it is not resolved yet. Does that make sense? So I'm gonna pray a prayer of confession. Uh, why don't we, we stand? I'll play a prayer, prayer of confession, then we're gonna sing. Father, this morning as we come before you, your words, Lord Jesus, they're, they're the words of life, but sometimes they're like knives that cut deep into our own hearts. And so we pray, Lord, that uh, as Christians, as a church, and as individuals especially this morning, that you would help us to take the log out of our own eye. 
Help us to be humble. Help us to look what, at our responsibility for any conflicts that we're experiencing. And then as we do business with you to, to take those logs out and then to be able to engage like Jesus in the conflicts we experience. So Lord, we ask your help in this. We can't do it on our own. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.